So welcome back to the Story of Software podcast. Today we're talking to Dr. Paddy Finn, who's the CEO of Viotas, and we're going to talk about how technology can solve our energy crisis. How are you doing today, Paddy? Great, Patrick. Thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Greatly appreciate you making time for us. Viotas is a technology company in the energy sector that focuses on balancing supply and demand. They won the Deloitte Fast 50 in 2019 on the back of some fairly exceptional growth in the preceding years. Paddy, to kick off, could you tell us a little bit about what made you pursue a career in technology? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so my background is engineering. I'm the CEO of Viotis, but uh, I'm also the CTO. And ever since I was young, you would have found me tinkering with just about anything. It was mainly cars, actually, when I was younger. And then in, uh, in university, I studied electronic engineering. And you learn between electronic hardware and, and software as well. And I think it's just that marvel of being able to turn your ideas into reality in a pretty sophisticated way. You come up with an idea, you design something. Normally, it doesn't work as expected first, but you're going to get it working and see that idea in your hands, materially working in front of you. That's something that scales. And I think we all know that the world we live in now is that applying technology to some of the most complex problems comes out with some incredible outcomes. So there's always food for thought, and particularly in the energy industry, it's an industry that's going through a huge transition at the moment. You know, power systems operate largely in the same manner for 80 to almost 100 years. And, uh, you know, in the next decade, we're going to see possibly as much change and advancement as we've seen in, in the last century almost. So there's a huge amount of food for thought to be able to solve some very complex problems and to really appeal to that same voice in my head that has made me pursue uh, a career in technology in the first place. Let's step back for a moment and get into what Viotas does and the kinds of problems that you solve for your customers. So our customer is ultimately the electricity system. And the reason for being for the power system is to serve the needs of electricity consumers. And that's traditionally been done by uh, having large conventional power stations on a system, meeting the changing demand of customers as customers see fit. So if people use more power, power stations increase their power. If they use less power, the power stations reduce the amount of power they're producing. And power stations have a lot of really very useful characteristics. It's not just the production of energy. It's also the ability to basically ride through problems in the systems. And then for very necessary reasons, we start transitioning towards renewable energies and in particular intermittent renewable energies. And they don't connect to the grid in the same way that provides the same type of resilience as our conventional fossil fuel-based power stations. So what we need to do is we need to try to get that flexibility that was given to us with fossil fuel power stations. We need to try to get that from other sources. So you need to balance the grid in new ways. And one of the ways we can do that is to turn electricity customers into active participants on the electricity system. And our approach in Viotis is that uh, we aggregate lots of large electricity customers that can be flexible sometimes with how they use power perhaps reduce the amount of power they're using in a process and carry out that process later on, et cetera, if the power that they were using will be better used by some other customers. So effectively, it's like sharing of electricity. And uh, what that does is it helps to keep the electricity system in balance. So if I was to give an example around that, it would be that let's just say you and your neighbors and people in the neighborhood come home and start cooking in the evening and start using more power, turn on their lights, turn on perhaps electric heating, et cetera. And traditionally, on the flip side, on the generation side, you'd have a power station actually increase its output almost exactly in real time. So you pay your electricity bill and that extra power at that time. 
Well, an alternative approach, which is what we do, is that when you started using more electricity, instead, we can get other electricity customers to reduce by the same amount. For example, maybe the fridges in your local supermarket, they might shut off and actually they would stop using electricity by the same amount as you've increased by. And that means the power system remains in balance without having had to turn on additional generation. And in doing that, the money that you pay through your electricity bill goes back and instead of paying a power station, it pays that customer who turned off. And now we do this on a large scale. So it's very large scale industrial processes. So uh, when we sum up the entire capability of our customer base in Ireland, it will be larger than the country's largest peat burning power station. So known as Shannon Bridge Power Station, I believe 155 megawatts, whereas we're about 185 and continuing to grow as we onboard more customers. Paddy, that's really interesting. I wonder, could you speak a little bit about some of the engineering challenges that you're facing in providing that type of service? Yeah, absolutely. So what we do, it wasn't possible in the past. So the operation of our business and the operation of a modern power system now is being driven by computation and, and communications. So really the power system used to be run by rules of thumb, whereas that obviously leads to very inefficient use of assets on the grid. Whereas now it's a very much a dynamic real-time problem that needs to be solved. So from our perspective, about 40% of our team work in research and development. And we have electronic hardware engineers. We've got uh, embedded firmware developers. We've got back-end software developers, UI developers, and we have manufacturing capability, etc. So for example, we would try to balance the system as fast as possible. The faster you can do it, the more you can get paid. That means that more our customers get paid who are sites that are willing to be flexible with their electricity. So we drive very hard to solve technical challenges that effectively drive more revenue towards our customers. And uh, so, for example, if a power station trips on the grid, we can have a customer at the opposite end of the country have their power to a certain process that they've nominated. We can have that shut off in sometimes between 60 and 100 milliseconds. Uh, oftentimes before the grid operator ever even knew that the problem existed, we're stepping in to try to solve it. And in doing that, we have to bring a lot of facets of technology together. So when we get down to the metrology side, we're looking at waveforms, like monitoring the grid, exactly what's happening on the grid at any point in time. We have to bring that together. Then we have to look at, okay, what's the best hardware that we can develop around that? So the actual hardware that connects the system, what are the best communications that we can use? And then obviously we have to build a whole stack and all the back end of the company is fully focused on aligning and modeling our customer sites and then using that information to make it look like a power station to the electricity system. And this is all done in software. It's all done through the models that we have at the sites. It's all then made possible by the hardware that we develop, that we deploy in sites. And then our systems will interact with the electricity market. And in near to real time, they will be sending data to the electricity system operator, receiving instructions from the electricity system operator, and then obviously making sure that we have to achieve that by using all of our sites in concert. That's really amazing how it all works. Could you tell us a little bit about how do you convince your customers who are large scale consumers of energy to go on this journey with you where they're you know, willing to, I suppose, reduce their consumption at very particular moments? I know you can get into kind of agreements in terms of what process is slowed down or stops and for how long. But when you're presenting this to companies in the first instance, is it quite challenging to bring them with you on that journey? I would say it certainly was, it still is, but less so. 
And I think that's just having built up, I suppose, a track record. So first of all, what we are talking to our customers about is the commercial value, that there's actually an embedded value in their ability to be flexible. So everyone has historically looked at energy efficiency, and that absolutely should be the first call. But that should always be followed by what can be achieved by just being flexible with my processes. So I develop processes to actually potentially not be as time dependent. And we highlight to our customers the ability to create value from that, you know, and the ability to monetize it through us. So first of all, there's the financial side. Second of all, number two in my list, but it's often number one for a lot of our customers, is that what we do, what our customers enable us to do, actually facilitates renewable energy on the power system. So our customers help to provide the electricity system operator with a safety net that they know that if there's a failure, if they're using high levels of renewables, which don't have often the same characteristics that help a power system to be robust, if there's a failure on the grid, the more renewable energy they're using, the more likely that is to have a bad impact. So that generally puts a threshold on the amount of renewable energy that a power system operator wants to use at any given time. They used to only use 50%, then 60%, and now they'll use 70% renewables. What allows them to do that is knowing that there's a strong safety net that catches the consequence if things go wrong. And our customers win by being available. And that's, I think, a very strong appeal. It's really coming to the fore as possibly one of the top motivations. And I suppose then, aside from that, what has been key to our success, I believe, is that we're a very technically capable company. And uh, a lot of our customers are leaving competitors to come to us. And a lot of the reason is because of our technical strengths. Really and truly, when we're sitting across the table, we need to address every question that utilities engineers and facilities engineers on the sites ask of us because they're looking and they're saying, our site works just fine as it is right now. If we sign up to this, how are you potentially going to jeopardize my site? What are you not telling me? So it's very important to be very forthright in highlighting any potential risks and also mitigating them. And they change from customer to customer. So it's incumbent on us to understand the impact we're going to have on our customers to a greater extent than they do, and that we understand them as a business. And I think that that is probably for us our, our key to success. Paddy, we've been touching on the, the topic of renewables, and you mentioned earlier that there's perhaps lower levels of resilience when you have a, a lot of renewables in your mix. Could you explain for me and for, for our listeners who don't understand for what reason renewables are maybe less reliable than your more traditional, I suppose, more carbon intensive methods of electricity production would have been? Uh, so, you know, I'm going to have to try to appeal to the, the visual side of your mind here if I can try to get a little bit of a picture, okay? So if you can picture a, a seesaw that's balanced on like a, a fine point in the middle, right? So it's like a little triangular fulcrum, right? Just where the pinpoint of the top of the triangle is what the seesaw is balancing on. Well, if on either side we put marbles, now obviously if the seesaw tilts either way, the marbles are going to fall off. And that's the way I think of power system is that it has to be perfectly balanced at all times. If you have 100 tons on either side of that seesaw and it's perfectly balanced, if you put so much as a pebble on one side, it's going to tip, right? So obviously if you had to react that quickly to try to manage the electricity system, it would be very challenging. But on one side of the seesaw, you have electricity customers and on the other side, you have power stations. Now, with conventional power stations, they are effectively tens to hundreds of tons of spinning metal. They don't like speeding up or slowing down, and they control the frequency on the grid. And the frequency on the grid, I'd equate that to being like the cadence when you're cycling. So if you're cycling and you're cycling with a certain speed at which you're pedaling a certain cadence, 
That's like the frequency on the power grid. But unlike when you're cycling, if you're cycling and if you come to a near stop, you'll fall off the bike. Power system is a very tight band. It normally is at 50 hertz. If it drops below 48, that's the seesaw having tilted and the marbles falling off, okay? But when you have conventional power stations, it's like you cycling on your bike and you're weighing 80 kilos. And if you hit a bump in the road, you just fire over that bump, right? Now, if you only weighed 80 grams and you're cycling the bike and you hit that bump, you hit it and you fall off straight away. And why that's kind of similar is that the power stations, they're like that big heavy weight. They can just ride through changes. And how that is, is if we come back to our seesaw with the marbles on each side and one side being power stations, where you have a power station, it's like putting a spring under the seesaw on that side. And that spring means that if you add a weight to either side or there's changes on either side, well, that gives you time to react. And that means that you can then either add more generation or you reduce generation as needed to balance the grid. When you add renewables, they don't have that same effect, right? So if there's a problem on the system, you have much less time to react. So that's the challenge with renewable energy. So if you want to use higher levels of renewables, you need to be able to run the power system and be able to compensate for problems in less time because you have less springs. That's really interesting, Paddy. Um, you've kind of mentioned two areas when it comes to decarbonizing the grid. There's, or I suppose, how we can be less carbon intensive around our electricity usage. So there's energy efficiency that you mentioned, energy flexibility, which you and, and your organization are facilitating with. Are there other technological advances that you're seeing that are going to come down the track that might help us transition to a, a lower carbon future? So there's a lot on the horizon over the coming years. Uh, so first of all, in a kind of a longer term play, we'll see a greater role played by hydrogen, particularly where you can use hydrogen electrolyzers to produce hydrogen at times of high wind, and then use it for generation at times in when there's low wind. But in addition to that, with what we do, particularly around the flexibility, we're going to start seeing that coming down into lower tiers of the power system. And it's going to be addressing a broader range of problems, really, because at the moment, and I suppose historically, electricity systems have been developed and operated on the assumption that you're going to have diversity of usage. Not everybody does the same thing at the same time. So that means that, let's say, there might be a number of houses connected to one transformer, and each house is supposed to be allowed to use 12 kilowatts of power. But the transformer, it's assuming that you know, not everyone's doing things at the same time. And that's the same assumption operates in other areas of the grid. It's another design consideration part of the wider system. So now people are buying more electric cars, which is absolutely the right trajectory, and also moving towards uh, electrified heat with air source heat pumps. So now those houses are actually taking away some of the diversity there. So that means then that the power system doesn't really have the infrastructure to actually deliver on, on those peak needs that people have. So traditionally, the answer to a lot of problems in the electricity system was add more copper, reinforce transmission, reinforce distribution. But in recent years, and really right now, actually, one program that's worth looking at is certainly the National Networks Local Connections Program by ESB Networks. The conclusion that's been come to is that technology now is the key to optimizing the use of the assets that exist on the grid. And if you're investing in new infrastructure, it also needs to be further optimized to make sure that we get the best out of it. So what that means is using these new demand types or load types to not be just off-takers of services from the grid and off-takers of power, but to actually play a role in maintaining the health of the national power system as well. And really, that is a communications and computation problem, right? If you'd like, I can give you a bit of a flavor as to what I think that'll look like. 
Yeah. So, so when we look at the active customer, your house is going to be actively participating in the electricity system. So in my view is that over the coming years, in the same way as you now go out, if you're buying your appliances for your house, you're probably going to look at the energy rating, right? And you're going to say, I want A plus, 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 plus energy efficiency. And that in the coming years, you're going to be going buying appliances that are going to be smart grid compliant. And that's going to be part of your decision. So are you going to buy the dishwasher that is just energy efficient? Are you going to buy the dishwasher that's flexible and smart grid compliant? Um, same with your heating system controls, with your electric car charger, down to your, you know, your electric blanket. I guess it would be like bringing home a device like Alexa and pair it into your house. It's going to basically join the ecosystem of your house. And then you will decide, okay, who is the smart grid aggregator that I want to sign up to? Uh, hopefully, Fiotis that is going to help me not only to save as much money with this appliance as possible, but potentially make as much money as possible from it. And how we would change how you would use these, for example, will be tonight when I load my dishwasher, I'm going to be telling my dishwasher when to start. But a flexible dishwasher, I won't be telling it when to start. I'll be telling it when I want it to be finished by. And it's up to it then to offer up that flexibility to Viotis. And then we look at okay, when's the best time to use this? How can we make the best savings or the best money for Podricare? Similarly, with your electric car, when you plug it in, instead of telling it when to start, you'll say, I need you to make sure you get to 40 kilometers now in case I need to go to hospital or I need to get to the office. But by the morning, I want you to have gotten up to 100 kilometers range by 8 o'clock when I leave. But I don't care when you get that rest of that. Figure it out yourself. Um, And then that'll be offered up to a company like ours who's going to help to use that to optimize the power system and to optimize the returns to you as a result. Very cool. Paddy, I have one last question for you. You know, building and scaling a company is a complicated undertaking. Are there any particular books or podcasts or other sources of content that you find particularly inspiring that helped you a lot in growing your business that you could recommend for our listeners? I don't have any particular um, recommendations in that regard. As I read data sheets, I'm, I'm that much of a nerd. Um, I'll be straight with you. So I often pick up data sheets for electronic devices and I, I read them like a novel. Um, so, uh, and I thoroughly enjoy that. I think for me, what's been key to supporting my journey to date has been networking. It's been the network that I've built up, particularly of people who are at various stages of developing their own businesses. People at early stage, people who are at growth phase, people who have been there, done that and have the t-shirt. So I think really and truly it's, uh, for me, the biggest influence on my journey has actually been the interaction with peers and really people who are delivering businesses with purpose and people who've had you know, a few hard knocks that they can share their experience. Because when, when you're setting up a business and regardless of what stage, it can be a lonely environment, you know? So you have to build up that peer network of people that you can actually really converse with and problem solve with. Yeah, and uh, I can really identify with a lot of what you just said there, Paddy. Um, it can be incredibly isolating in some ways, even though you might have interacted with 50 people on a given day. It's its own thing. It kind of does separate you out a little bit from other people and it can be quite challenging. And that point you made about the importance of network and the importance of getting to know people who are delivering business with purpose is one of the things that you said there. And I actually wrote it down as you were speaking because I couldn't agree more. Business has to be about more than making money or it loses its lure pretty quickly. So um, thank you for that. I I really appreciate your answer there. And I really appreciate your time today, Paddy. Thank you so much for for spending time with us today and sharing your experience of growing Viotas. And I wish you ongoing success. It's great to see a company that's helping to improve the world through what they're doing. So well done.
Not at all. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. So, uh, production is always by Adnan Tuchar, support from Albina Kresteva and Evan Sheehan, and music by Robert Cooney. Catch us again on the Story of Software podcast.